Unity is a big idea these days. I'd say it is a buzzword. It's been several years, but whenever I hear the word unity, I think of George W. Bush saying, I'm a uniter, not a divider. And uh, people talk about unity. The goal of many organizations is unity. There are bumper stickers that remind us of the importance of unity. And I think the idea of unity is a part of our social consciousness because as human beings, we were made for community. We are relational beings. We were not created to live isolated lives. And uh, did you know that even with hundreds of followers and comments and likes in our social and digital media age, Research shows that people feel not more connected, but more and more isolated and alone. Unity is something that we want. Unity is something that we need, but it's also something that it feels at times is hard to find, maybe even impossible to find. Sometimes when we look for unity or we want it, it feels like we're the National Geographic photographer that's camped out in the middle of the jungle, and for six months he's been waiting only to get about five minutes of video of the most elusive creature on earth. And so we have this tension. We want unity. We need unity. We, we see that it's something beautiful. We also understand that at times... It's difficult to experience. It's difficult to find. Sometimes we're even jaded about it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can see how non-Christians are jaded by Christianity at this very point. There are thousands of denominations. People seem to fight and uh, wrestle with things that don't really make any sense. Did you hear about the church uh, the, the church meeting that broke out into a fist fight, this is not a joke, this, is, this really happened. They uh, were talking about something that ha- would have an impact on the kingdom of God for years to come, the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. And they broke out in a fist fight. So we talk about it deep down, we want it. Some people may think we'll never have it, so why bother? Psalm 133 is a call for us, a reminder, a blessing from God that Christian unity does exist. It's real, it's powerful, it's possible, it's beautiful, and it's something that we should move toward and strive for as believers in Jesus Christ. So let's look at Psalm 133 together, and and to begin, let's set the stage for unity, setting the stage At first read, this passage feels different. It's kind of weird. We don't know what the oil on the head is about. We don't know what the dew of Hermon is. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first of all, let's set the stage for unity from Psalm 133. And the best way that I think we could relate to that is to think about the LSU campus on any weekend in the fall. And how people roll up onto campus on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon in their very expensive campers. And, and yeah, they're just like rolling hotels. And uh, they, they tailgate and they cook and they chill and they imbibe all day Friday and all day Saturday. And then hours before the game starts, 90,000 
plus people descend on Tiger Stadium from every single direction. That's one of the ways that I can give you a glimpse, that we can have a taste of what it might have been like for these people in ancient Israel coming from every direction, every road, every path to Jerusalem to worship God together one, two, or three times a year. Think of them coming together, people seeing old friends, forging new friendships and relationships. There were probably terrible traffic jams. Tens of thousands of people came to Jerusalem to worship God with one another. And I'm sure that it was a beautiful, big, complicated mess. There were challenges and blessings But there was one thing that united God's people. There was one thing that brought them together. And it's so beautiful and so glorious and so transcendent and so hard to believe. It's something with eternal and everlasting implications and significance. They gathered together to worship the Lord God who who made the heavens and the earth. Who promised, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. They gathered together with one heart and one voice to worship the living God. That is the backdrop. That's the, that's the backdrop and setting the stage for unity. Second thing I want us to see from Psalm 133 is the source of unity. What is it that makes Christian unity different? Where does it come from? What sets it apart? The Bible teaches us a couple things. One of the first things that we need to remember is that if you're a Christian, you're part of of God's family. Look at verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. When brothers and sisters dwell together, live together in unity. And one of the basic principles of the Old Testament and the New Testament is that those who follow God and trust God and worship God, we're called the children of God. He's our Father. We're brothers and sisters united around our elder brother, Jesus Christ. We share this in common, think about it, with people from every tribe and tongue and nation and kindred. People who live in the desert, people who live in the jungle, people who live in huge cities and in rural communities, those who have a relatively easy life and those who are persecuted for their faith. One of the realities of Christianity is this. In Christ, We're brothers and sisters. We're part of God's forever family. And what binds us together, people from every tribe and tongue and nation and kindred? The source of Christian unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a source of real unity. Being reconciled to the Father through the Son is our source, our motor, our powerhouse for unity. It's a connection and an anchor that's not, it depends not on what country you're from or when you live or how much money you make or your accomplishments or your resume or what you have or haven't done. Jesus Christ brings us into the family of God through the good news of the gospel, the good news about Him, that Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven and continual intercession for us. That's the heart of what unifies 
believers. He's the source of our unity. He carries us to the Father. We can have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins and a new lease on life where we're not we're no longer controlled by fear and insecurity, but we're driven by compassion and God's kindness. You see, we have a common problem. We're broken. We sinned against God and other people, and we sinned against ourselves even. And God offers us a common solution, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You ever heard the phrase that the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground? See, coming to Jesus is the ultimate equalizer. Because we come, and and the way that we're accepted by God is by admitting and resting in the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all for us. There's room at his table for all sorts of people. It's big enough for princes and paupers and Pharisees and prostitutes, the arrogant, the addicted, the depressed, the wounded, the successful. The only requirement is that we admit that we need Jesus. Jesus Christ is the source of our unity. And if we've been reconciled to God through Christ, we have this freedom and this call and this responsibility through the gospel to pursue and desire and expect unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. So setting the stage, um, the source of unity. Next thing I want us to see, and some specifically from the text, is stumbling blocks and stepping stones to unity. What are some of the stumbling blocks and stepping stones to us experiencing unity? Think about it. Stumbling blocks and stepping stones are really the same kinds of stones, aren't they? It just depends on where they are on the path. Stepping stones have been put there so we can cross the stream or climb the hill. They've been put there by hikers or the rangers. Stumbling blocks could be the same kind of rocks or stones, but they just happen to be in just the wrong place. So we trip and we fall and we stub our toe and we hurt our shins and they cause us to stumble. As we think about Christian unity, there are certain things that are stumbling blocks there are certain things that are stepping stones. What are some of the stumbling blocks to us experiencing joy and the beauty of Christian unity? One, we're selfish and fearful. This is one of the stumbling blocks. Many times we don't move toward fellowship with others because it takes work, it takes effort, and it's scary. Think about it. To truly enjoy unity with another person You have to think about that person. You have to put that person's uh, story and their wants and their struggles and their hopes and their likes and dislikes. You have to know them. You have to embrace those. It's what we read from Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's difficult. It's beautiful and wonderful, but many times we want our way our agenda, our comfort. Selfishness is a stumbling block to unity. We're also afraid, not just of putting in the effort to know and care for other people, we're afraid that other people will actually know us. Maybe that's even more fearful. 
us opening up our lives and our hearts to others, letting them hear about our struggles and our baggage. So selfishness and fear are common stumbling blocks to unity. What are some of the ways that we could move some of those stumbling blocks and make them stepping stones? What if you ask God to help you experience the joy of loving and caring for other people? It truly is one of the blessings of being in this world and following Jesus. Have you ever considered that your weaknesses could be turned into your greatest strengths? Maybe your fears and your insecurities and your struggles and your story shared with another person could be the beginning, the foundation, the breakthrough of shared experience and hope with that person. And and it will probably mean more expectations about time and friendship and service and love. And so many times we want to keep things neat and comfortable Selfishness is a stumbling block to unity. But the more we live with and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus can systematically destroy our selfishness and grow us in attitudes and actions that are motivated by love. So selfishness and fear is one of the stumbling blocks. Another stumbling block to unity is the fact that we're prejudiced and fearful. If we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit it's very easy to look at people that are different from us and make certain assumptions. It's easy for us just to think about our side and our clan and our crew and be afraid about what other people do and think. Whether we're talking about class or socioeconomics or race or ethnicity or politics or educational level, if we only and primarily identify people by those things and by fear, those are stumbling blocks to unity. So these are a few categories, preppy, Yuppie, emo, hipster, ghetto, thug, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. That's just the beginning. When we're consciously or unconsciously compartmentalizing ourselves and others in this way only, it's a stumbling block to unity. The gospel of Jesus Christ can serve as a wrecking ball to help tear down those things that we identify folks with out of fear and helps us think about biblical categories. Categories like these. That all people are created in the image of God with inherent worth and dignity. That we've been made in the image of God. And if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that raises the stakes, it takes it to a whole different level. We're connected with folks, even if they're different from us, even if we don't speak the same language, we're connected in a way that is eternal and powerful because of Jesus Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, neither male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. What might be some of the ways that our stumbling blocks of prejudice and fear may be removed are transformed into stepping stones 
for unity in Christ. Last step, stumbling block I want us to think about is self-righteousness and fear. It's not easy for us to admit, but many times we can be arrogant and stubborn and self-righteous. And by we, I mean me and probably you guys too. We smile and we say nice words, but sometimes deep down we think, my way is really the best way. My thoughts are really the best thoughts. My opinion is the only one that really matters. And this is a stumbling block to unity. Self-righteousness is. And it's very easy for us to... uh, Because of the gospel, it should be easy for us to humble ourselves. Because it is the most humbling thing in the world to think that Jesus Christ became a man. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the gospel can turn our stumbling blocks of self-righteousness into stepping stones. Those are some of the stumbling blocks for unity that we see from God's Word. What are some of the stepping stones? What are some of the biblical principles that can help us move toward and live in unity with one another? In a word, the main stepping stone to unity is, is, is love. It's love. Remember the message of 1 John. If you love God, you'll love other people. And here are a few concrete aspects. First of all, love hopes. Love hopes. It's you know the most familiar passage about love in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. And my favorite part about that passage are these two phrases. Love believes all things and love hopes all things. Cynicism and believing the worst about people doesn't usually foster unity. So it's important for us to try to give folks the benefit of the doubt, to grow and move toward people with empathy and not self-righteousness. One of the stepping stones to unity is love hopes. Love also covers. You remember the proverb, Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sins. In 1 Peter, it says it like this. Keep loving each other earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love is a stepping stone to unity, especially the sin-covering love that we need when we live with one another, when we're part of a family. Because there will be times when we get on each other's nerves, when we're frustrated with each other, when we hurt each other. And this general principle of love Covering a multitude of sins is so important for us to care for one another and live with one another in the good and the difficult times as a family. Love hopes, love covers, love moves. The love of God moves us toward one another, especially when things happen interpersonally that go beyond the love covering piece where you've sinned against someone else or they've sinned against you and part of God's plan and path toward restoration and reconciliation is to go and speak with that person whether they've sinned against you or you've sinned against them. We move toward folks in love and so many times we believe that this could be so awkward that we might die if we do it. 
but is part of God's plan. It's part of God's stepping stone toward unity, moving toward people in love and being open and honest, hiding resentment, bitterness. Those are stumbling blocks, not stepping stones. And the last stepping stone of unity is love speaks. Remember Ephesians 4, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his, with his neighbor, speak the truth in love. One of the aids and stepping stones of unity is when brothers and sisters in Christ have the courage to speak the truth to each other in love. To say words like this, maybe you've had to say these words before. You know I love you with all my heart. And you know what you're doing is wrong. You know I care about you so deeply. And I see you going down a path that leads to destruction. Christian unity is not connection and fellowship without truth, without teeth, without accountability. It should be rooted and grounded and and built up and cultivated in grace and forgiveness and compassion and truth and, and love for one another. So you have stumbling blocks, you have stepping stones to unity. The last thing I want us to see is that it's sweet. And uh, if you know me very well, you know that I like to use the word sweet. That's sweet. Nice. Um, Sorry, not sorry. And uh, Christian unity is something that is sweet. And precious and beautiful and glorious. The text says that it's good and pleasant. Go back with me to Jerusalem 2,500, 3,000 years ago. Imagine one of God's children at the end of a great week of fellowship and worship and repentance and praise, looking at the people of God everywhere, singing praises to God, overwhelmed with God's grace and gratitude, and to say to himself or to say to a friend, look, look at this, behold how beautiful, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Imagine the conversations that might have happened. It is so good to see you, my friend. I've been missing you. Your kids are growing up so fast. I heard about the death of your mom. I'm so sorry. When brothers and sisters come together, there's a sweetness to it. It's beautiful. It's a blessing. And it says it in Psalm 133, in verse 3, from there the Lord has commanded the blessing. It is about God's blessing for us. It's not just the fellowship part, it's also vertical. And it's eternal life. Folks may say to one another or even to themselves what Sinclair Ferguson said about this passage. You know what? This is the way it's supposed to be. And there are a couple images, powerful pictures of this unity that that may be foreign to us, but they're worth explaining. First of all, it's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. What does this mean? Well, Zion was the place 
where the temple was in Jerusalem. Hermon was a a mountain that was about 120 miles away. It was up high in the mountains, in the highlands. And Jerusalem was built on a hill. And talking about the dew coming down on both of those places, it talks about, it reminds us of two things. First of all, the dew falling was refreshing. Much of ancient Israel was a dry land. And the dew falling from Hermon and on the mountains of Jerusalem was a sweet and refreshing reality. In life, the joy and blessing of Christian unity is refreshing. It brings life. It also talks about that it's all encompassing from the highest mountains to the hills, from the valleys to the rivers to the plains, the dew falls, the blessing of unity falls on all people, great and small, every stripe, every background, from the highest to the least, we're united in Jesus Christ. The second image we see from Psalm 133 is that it's like precious oil on the beard, on the head. I'm going to be honest with you, this is kind of weird. And uh, you're not the first person to think that. What is this about? Oil on the head? Gross. But it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture of God's anointing. It's a picture of what would happen when one of the sons of Aaron, a Levite, when a new high priest was set apart to do the work of serving God on behalf of the people. And God had a special mixture of oil and spices that was reserved for this task alone. So the experience and the smells and all that happened when someone was anointed to worship and serve God as the high priest would be set apart. And it's a picture of the outpouring of God's spirit and blessing. And notice what happens. The oil is put on the head of the high priest and then it trickles down because the high priest, his life was about serving God, but he represented the people of God. And over his heart, he wore a breastplate that had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that that oil of God's blessing would go down from his head, down his beard, onto the collar of his garment. And it's a very clear picture. The blessing of unity, the blessing of being connected to God is found It's communicated. It doesn't just come to the priest or the leader. It it trickles down to all of God's people. What he did was not for himself. It was for the people and for God. So where do we go from here? Our church has problems. Um, If you haven't seen them yet, as Woody says sometimes, just stick around. We'll be sure to disappoint you at some point. There are challenges and difficulties in the Christian church in general. There are divisions. There are black eyes. We're not always one big happy family. There are hurdles and walls and patterns that bring people apart instead of bringing people together. And if you're anything like me, the thought has at least crossed your mind Why even bother? Here's why. 
Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Here is why we're committed to and we move toward Christian unity, because Jesus himself prayed, I and them, Father, and you and me, we're one, that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Why are we committed to the people of God and the fellowship of God? Because Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We're called to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He's the priest and the sacrifice, and his children, his church, his people are on his heart. We're God's family, and he's called us to move toward one another and pursue unity in him. And also, because one day, we'll have it fully, perfectly, without any difficulty or challenge. Remember in Revelation 19, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God reigns, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made Himself ready. We pursue unity. Because one day, we'll get to enjoy it perfectly. Let's move toward it now with one another. Let's pray.